Father, we thank you for your love for us. We're thankful for all that you have revealed to us through Jesus, and we're thankful that we have a record of his life and his teachings and his example. We pray that you would bless us as we study tonight, and uh, pray that the things that we see and hear will be useful to us, and in turn useful to others as we share them. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. I would like for you to consider the college freshman who signs up for a course called World Religions 101. And for the very first time in his life, he is away from home. He grew up in a Christian home. He grew up hearing about Jesus. He grew up hearing about Jesus being the Son of God, how Jesus was the unique, heaven-sent, virgin-born, miracle-working, sacrificial, crucified resurrected from the dead Savior. And he was special to this young man. He grew up in the way that Jesus grew up. At least he tried to grow up that way in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was committed to living the Christian life. He was committed to living for his Savior. And he was very serious about the Christian life. And so when he left home, for the very first time in his life, he was separated from his parents for a lengthy period of time as he went away for uh, college in his first semester. He entered this class on world religions and he began to hear some things that he had never heard before. He had never heard of alleged Savior gods like Dionysus. You see, the teacher of the world religions class began to talk about how Jesus was not all that special about how Jesus was not all that unique, about how the the story of Christ was simply a redo. It was a remake. It was, you might say, as the professor said, a plagiaristic story because there were stories that sounded a lot like Jesus that had existed long before Jesus ever put on flesh and was born of a virgin and grew in the first century from a child to a man and worked miracles. So you see, he would tell his students those things had been told time and time again. And so he began telling his students about Savior gods, as he called them, like Dionysus, who supposedly was the son of the mythological Greek god Zeus and the mortal virgin simile. And he talked about how Dionysus supposedly descended to the Hadean world, conquered death and brought his dead mother back to the land of the living. How Dionysus is said to have died and been raised again. And how his followers called him Redeemer. And even used grape juice to symbolize his blood. The professor, he stood before the class very tall and straight and confident and told these students, some of them claiming to be Christians, told them that their Savior, the one that they were living for, the one that they wore the name of, that he was not all that special. He was not the real Christ because you see, he said there was no real Christ. There was no real Messiah. He was just a remake, if you will. And he told them that the story of Dionysus was around 500 years before Jesus was, as he said, supposedly born of a virgin. And then he began to tell not only of Dionysus, but of individuals like Mithras and Adonis and Prometheus and Krishna and how Krishna has been portrayed as hanging on a cross with holes through his hands and feet. 
and how they called Krishna Lord and Savior and how He supposedly rose from the dead and ascended up into heaven. And He began to point out similarity after similarity with the story that we all have held so, so dear. Those of us who call ourselves Christians have held so dear for the entire time that we have been Christians. And then he pointed out that the story of Krishna dates back some 1,200 years before Jesus. But he didn't stop with Krishna. He went on to talk about alleged Savior gods like Osiris and how this mythological god, how his story is recorded in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, how he was called King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and how after being put to death, he allegedly arose and wore the name the Resurrected One. He even had a scribe named Annie who is described as one whose word is truth. And so the professor talked about Adonis and Mithras and Dionysus and Krishna and Osiris and how some of their stories even went back as far as 1400 B.C. You can imagine the college freshman who has never heard information like this, how for perhaps even the very first time in his life, his faith was somewhat shaken. According to former Christian turned skeptic Farrell Teal, in a debate that he had with Norman Geisler in Columbus, Georgia a few years ago, he said, crucified, resurrected Savior gods who had been born of virgins were a dime a dozen by the time that Jesus was born. You may be sitting there as a Christian thinking, I've never heard anything like that, and that is disturbing information. It may be that you are not a Christian and you think, yes, I've heard these stories in my life, and this is why I do not believe that Jesus is the unique Savior of the world. and I do not believe that I should bow down to Him and serve Him and worship Him and call Him Lord and serve Him as my Lord. Well, we're going to talk tonight about Jesus being the unique Savior and why He is different than these alleged Savior gods and why there would be stories like those that we have just rehearsed the last few minutes. But I want to show you a few other things just so you will see that I'm not just building up some straw man here, but that these are real criticisms that have been around for centuries. In fact, they go back to the very beginning of Christianity when people were trying to say that Jesus was not very unique because there were stories that sounded somewhat like Him that are or that were around centuries before the time of Christ. In a note that appeared in Newsweek magazine in April of 2000, a gentleman by the name of Don Zomberg stated, "...the legend of Jesus is little more than a variant of older religions common to the Middle East thousands of years ago." Most of you probably have heard of the book, The Da Vinci Code. I understand that there have been 50 plus million books that is The Da Vinci Code sold around the world as of this time. And you recall that this book had several claims uh, against Christianity and specifically against the originator of Christianity, that is Jesus Christ. Well, on page 232 of this book written by Dan Brown, a novel, but a, a novel that he stated on page one was based upon a lot of facts. And in this book, one of the lead characters made this statement about Christianity and about Jesus. Sir Lee Teabing, the character in the book, says, Nothing in Christianity is original. 
The pre-Christian god Mithras, called the Son of God, and the light of the world was born on December 25th, died and was buried in a rock tomb, and then resurrected in three days. By the way, December 25th is also the birthday of Osiris, Adonis, and Dionysus. The newborn Krishna was presented with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so the attempt again was to make Jesus out to be not a unique Savior, but more of an average fraud. Now, of course, you might be able to tell very quickly that there are some claims in this particular book that simply are not correct or that are unprovable because we know that there is nothing in Scripture that says that Jesus was born on December 25th. and In fact, there are indicators that it seems that He would have been born in a different part of the year. And from what I understand and the research that I've done, there's no information in the writings of the Hindus that says that Krishna was presented with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so what you will find many times in the uh, alleged similarities of so-called Savior gods and Jesus is that there are not quite as many similarities as they might try to lead us to believe. But let me share with you a quotation or a few quotations from an email that someone recently sent our offices. A gentleman made the statement. He said, I have read quite a lot about the saviors of the world or mankind. It is absolutely nothing new in Christianity. He said, Jesus is considered to be Savior, and so was Osiris. Jesus is born of a virgin mother, so was Osiris. Such events all pre-exist Christianity. Christianity does not introduce anything new to the world when it speaks of a crucified Savior. And then he, near the end of his email, wrote, The concept, that is of a Savior God, existed long, long ago. So where does today's Christianity draw its crucified Lord and Savior from? Where did Christianity get its Lord? Where did the story of Jesus come from? Tonight, we want to look at the uniqueness of Christ. And we want to ask why history records stories of so-called Savior gods, these resurrected heroes that even predate the time of Christ. Yes, even though there are some similarities in these stories of Jesus, and there are some that have been embellished over time, the fact is there still are a number of similarities that people have pointed out, that skeptics and Bible critics and critics of Christianity have been pointing out for centuries. It seems that in the 21st century that more and more criticisms are being brought forth on television and books and journals and magazines and so forth. Well, we want to respond to the criticisms about Jesus not being unique and consider why there would have been stories that sounded similar to Christ, perhaps very similar to Christ, that existed before the time of Christ. And as we get into this this discussion, let me remind all of us of one of the most precise, concise outlines of the Bible. And it is very simple when you consider that from Genesis through Malachi, you have uh, a message there of the Messiah, that is, Jesus is coming. There are many other stories in the Old Testament. There are many points that are made, many great examples for us to follow, lessons that we can learn. But don't forget that the overall, the overriding message of the Old Testament is the Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming from Genesis through Malachi. And then you have in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell us that the Messiah, Jesus, is here, that He has come. And then from Acts through the rest of the New Testament, 
you have the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. That is one of the most uh, concise outlines of the Bible that I have ever come across or that we have ever taught. But notice for just a moment the theme of the Old Testament. Consider that Genesis through Malachi, that one of, if not the, the main message of it, is that we are going to need a Savior and He is coming. And we were told about Him from Genesis through Malachi. We were told that He would be of the seed of woman. He would come from the loins of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah. And you can see pictures or types of Christ in the Old Testament. You can see Him as the, the Passover lamb in Exodus. You can see Him as the great high priest, the great high priest in the book of Leviticus, or as the star of Jacob in the book of Numbers, or as the prophet like unto Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. You can see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. You can see that the Messiah is coming. Well, consider that that was a theme of the prophet's messages, that they talked about, that they wrote about the one coming. We have another lecture in this series of lessons on the prophecies of Christ and how those prophecies prove His deity. Well, consider that there are hundreds of prophecies that were made in the Old Testament about Jesus the Christ. Now, if one of the themes, if not the main theme of the Old Testament writings is the Messiah is coming. And if the, the prophets of Israel, if they were foretelling of a heaven-sent, virgin-born, miracle-working, sacrificial, crucified, resurrected from the dead Savior, is it not logical also to consider that those who would have been prophesying outside of Israel and even before Israel became a nation, before there ever was a Jacob whose name was changed to Israel, that some of their messages would have been about the one who would come and take away the sins of the world. Consider a few passages with me tonight. Consider where some of the stories of alleged Savior gods would have originated. In a passage of Scripture found in Luke chapter 11, you have Jesus talking to some of the enemies of His there in the first century. And He said to them in Luke 11, verses 49 and following, He said, Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Notice very carefully how Jesus spoke about the prophets and how their blood had been shed from the foundation of the world. You see, the prophets did not begin with Isaiah. The prophets didn't begin with Malachi. The prophets didn't begin back with Moses. Jesus said the prophets' blood had been shed. This blood has been shed since or from the foundation of the world. And then He became more specific and tied this into the time of Abel, the son of Adam and Eve. I want you to consider the fact that there would be stories of so-called Savior gods that sounded very similar to Christ because since the beginning of time, the prophets have been foretelling about the one who would come. And as the prophets were telling about this, it would have been disseminated throughout the various cultures of the world as people began to talk about these things. 
Now, some people may not like that answer, but the fact is our Lord and Savior, when He was on earth, talked about how the prophets have been here long before Moses, long before Israel, long before Isaac, long before Abraham, back to the foundation of the world. Consider another passage also recorded for us by Luke but spoken by the Apostle Peter, who in Acts chapter 3 said, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Notice again, Peter talking about Jesus Christ and how the prophets spoke and how God has spoken by the mouth of His holy prophets since the world began. In another passage recorded for us by Luke, recording for us about the time of John the baptizer's birth, and immediately prior to that and after that, he gave us a prophecy that his, that his father, Zacharias, gave. You remember that his father went into the temple and he was told that he was going to have a son, and he doubted that, and he was made mute. And then after his son was born on the eighth day, his son was circumcised and they wanted to know, those who were friends of the family wanted to know what they were going to call this child. And the mother said, John, not, not Zacharias, but John. And then the father, Zacharias, said, yes, this is, wrote it down. This is what we would call him, John. And he was allowed to speak. And then he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. And he prophesied. And this is what he said. He said, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets who have been since the world began. Notice that the prophets have been prophesying about the one who would come and redeem His people, about the one who would be the horn of our salvation. The strength of our salvation lies in Jesus Christ. And it has been spoken of, it has been prophesied of. Not just since the days of Isaiah and Micah. Not just since the days of Zechariah. Not just since the days of Moses. But going back to the beginning of time. Since the world began. Or as Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, from the foundation of the world. The prophets have been prophesying about the one who would come. Since when? Where do we read of the first indication that one would be born of a woman who would crush the head of Satan? Well, you recall, you can go back, in fact, to the third chapter of your Bible in Genesis chapter 3. You see, it didn't start with Genesis 12. It didn't just start with the time of Abraham a couple of thousand years or so after the time of Adam and Eve, after creation. Even though we talk about Abraham being the father of the Jews and being the grandfather of Jacob or Israel. That's not when the stories about the one who would come or the, the promises or the prophecies about Jesus would come. We have before that, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve were cast out, you recall that God spoke to Adam and then He spoke to Eve and then He spoke to Satan and He told Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall what? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. For hundreds of years, Jews understood this to be a messianic prophecy. But what I want you to understand here is the prophecies, the promises, the discussions you would think surely would have taken place 
outside of Israel. And there would have been stories about gods, great, powerful redeemers, saviors who would come and appease the God or, as the pagans might think, their gods. You see, God's scheme of redemption through a grand, great hero, if you will, that would save the world from sin was being revealed not since the days of Isaiah, not since the days of Moses, but all the way back since the fall of man. Why would there be stories about these so-called Savior gods before the time of Christ? Well, the critic doesn't like to consider the fact that before the time of Christ, there were discussions about the one who would come. There were prophecies that were made. People would have been expecting or hoping for such, and that is exactly what we find. It should not come as a surprise to us because the prophets have been here, as Jesus said, since the foundation of the world. You recall that there was one named Enoch who was the seventh from Adam, who was a prophet. He walked with God for 300 years, and we have one of his prophecies recorded for us in Jude 14 and 15. The Bible tells us that he prophesied. He walked with God for 300 years. Well, what all did God tell him? Well, we don't know. We don't have all of that recorded for us. Please understand, we don't have recorded for us in our Bibles everything that every spokesman of God ever said. Can you imagine how large the Bible would be if that was the case? It's hard to get many people to read the Bible the way it is. We don't have every prophecy. We don't have everything that God's spokesmen have ever said. Now, it is reasonable, though, to consider the fact that since the theme of the Old Testament is the Messiah is coming and that Jesus said the prophets have been here since the foundation of the world and they've been talking about that great Redeemer who would come, the, the horn of our salvation, the one who would save us, that the stories would have been told long before the Old Testament was ever written. And prophets such as Enoch or Noah could very well have been telling about some of these things. Of course, Noah was a preacher of righteousness, we read about in the epistles of Peter. But it's very possible that as he preached year after year after year, that the Lord was revealing to him some things about the one who would come and save mankind. We read of a great uh, priest, the priest of the Most High God, we're told in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18, Melchizedek who was a priest of the Most High God, but he wasn't a descendant of Abraham or Isaac or, or Jacob. He was outside of that family. You see, there were those who knew about the one true and living God who were not Jews and did not know of the Old Testament. In fact, when you read in the book of Job, you don't find any mention of the Hebrew Scriptures. There's no mention of the, the law of Moses. It seemed that Job was a patriarch who lived perhaps just before the time of Abraham or around the time of Abraham. He lived to be a very old age. After all of the events that occurred and that we read about in Job chapter 1 all the way through the end of the book, you find at the end of the book he's living 140 more years. He lived to be a very old age, it seems. And God spoke directly to him at times. God spoke directly to various individuals throughout time, going all the way back to the beginning of time, after man was created and after he fell, prophecies began to be given to man. Discussions men would have had about the one who would come and be special and be unique and be from God and the one who would ultimately appease God. We have other prophets outside and other people outside of Israel who knew about Jehovah God, like 
Balaam, the Mesopotamian soothsayer, or Rahab, who wasn't a prophet, but who knew about the one true Jehovah God when the Israelites came into the land of Canaan. And perhaps one of the most interesting uh, thoughts in regard to this very subject tonight, about why there would be stories of alleged, sacrificed, resurrected from the dead Savior gods who had special births. Consider the fact that in Matthew chapter 2, we read about men the Bible calls wise men or magi who were from the east, who came and wanted to know about the king of the Jews. They had learned that the king of the Jews had been born. And they came and they wanted to, to worship him. Have you ever considered the fact that men that the Bible does not say were Jews, and I've never read any commentators who thought these men were Jews, they are called wise men from the east who came to pay homage to the king of the Jews, that they were Gentiles, and they knew about the time that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born. You see, stories about Jesus had been passed down. Exactly how the wise men knew, I don't know. You recall that the story in Matthew 2 tells us they saw a star in the east. How they knew that star meant that the Messiah had been born, I don't know. But we do know that God was communicating to them at times anyway, because after they went and worshipped Jesus, you remember that God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so we have those outside of Israel who knew about and who were waiting for the Savior of the world. And so we have Jesus being the unique Savior. And the fact that that story, the fact that there were stories that sounded like Christ, that were around before Christ, shouldn't surprise us. Because you see, the promises were made. The prophecies were given. The stories were told since the beginning of time of the one who would be born of woman, who would have a miraculous birth, who would work miracles when he was living on this earth, would do many wonderful things, how he would overcome man's greatest foe being death, and he would arise from the dead. He would live forever. He would conquer death. And the stories were told. Prophecies were given. One of the greatest things about Christ's life that you can consider is the fact that details about His life were given before He ever was born of woman. His life, and what makes His story so unique in one way, is that His life was recorded before He ever lived. Consider why there would be stories of sacrificial Savior gods, not only because the prophecies were made, not only because people would have been wanting and waiting for that great sacrifice to come. But since the beginning of time, people have not only been hearing prophecies or waiting on the seed of woman to be born, to crush the head of Satan, but mankind has been sacrificing for thousands of years. You can go back, we mentioned the book of Job a few minutes ago, and read how Job's so-called friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, how they were offering sacrifices, how at the, the end of that book, how God instructed them to offer sacrifices. You can read in the beginning of that book how Job was a man who offered sacrifices. You can go back to the flood and see how when Noah and his family got off of the ark, how they were offering, how Noah was offering sacrifices. In fact, you can go all the way back to the beginning of time 
to the time of the one that Jesus mentioned in Luke chapter 11, to the time of Abel, and see where sacrifices were being made. Mankind has been sacrificing, trying to give God their best since the beginning of time. And it's interesting to me that even atheists have admitted that long before the Old Testament and New Testament were penned, mankind sought atonement for their sins by sacrificing their best. Even critics of Christ, unbelievers, admit this, that before the the Bible was written down, that people were striving to give God their best, sacrificing things to their God. And it came to be, you remember, or you recall from your history studies and Bible studies, that people began to offer their children. Certain pagan nations began to offer their children. And as you think about giving God your best, as you think about giving God what's most precious to you, Now, of course, that is a a corrupt thought, and God certainly did not want that. But some of these pagan nations who had a skewed skewed thought about who Jehovah God was, and they weren't pleasing Him, but they were apparently, at least some of them, even the atheists have admitted, were striving to appease their God somehow. I've heard where the ancients in India used to take their babies and cast them into the Ganges River and watch them be eaten by crocodiles, and that somehow was supposedly striving to appease their gods by offering them what was so very special to them. Or you remember how the Moabites would take their children and place them on the outstretched hands of their false god, Chemosh, and watch them burn in fire. Well, there came to be an understanding, for whatever reason through time, that that they wanted to give their gods, their false gods, whatever gods they thought of their best, and they began offering their children. But do you know what was better than just an ordinary child? It came to be believed that the child of someone very special, someone very important like the child of a king. And even as they thought about giving God their best, what would have been even more important or or more special than that would be not only a child of someone very important, but a child that could freely give himself and know what he or she was was doing. And and then, you know, a better sacrifice would have been a perfect, royal child who knew what he or she was doing. And, of course, then that wouldn't necessarily be a, a child. And so it came to be believed that the perfect sacrifice through number one, through prophecy, and number two, through people striving in, in different ways to give God what they thought He wanted, even though He did not want them to sacrifice their children, they began to offer them what was most precious to them. And it came to be believed that the most precious thing that there could ever be would be God incarnate. And of course, the prophets foretold of this, and we will discuss this later in some of the other lessons in this series, in this seminar. But you have... The prophecies and the promises and the sacrifices that go back to the beginning of time. Where people would have been talking about and waiting for, expecting that Savior. Well, some people couldn't wait on Christ. Some people didn't wait on Christ and they made up stories as if they had already come. You know, we shouldn't be surprised that there are stories that get handed down and are talked about maybe before the the Scriptures are written or before Jesus ever walked on this earth, that there would have been stories that sounded similar to His. There is 
somewhat of a parallel when you consider the fact that the Bible records for us that there was a flood during the time of Noah. And yet Moses did not record that until about 1500 B.C. And yet the flood happened centuries before that. Do you know that there are legends all around the world of a, of a worldwide flood? And that there are even documents that predate the Old Testament that talk about the worldwide flood. Now, just because those documents predate the time of Christ, just because there are stories, excuse me, that predate the time of, of Noah and the flood, just because there were stories that predate uh, the time that Moses wrote these things down, does not mean that what Moses wrote was not true. Well, in a similar way, in a similar light, the fact that there were stories that were told before Jesus was actually born of a virgin and walk this earth does not mean that his story is not the unique one and that his story is not the correct one. The fact is, Jesus is very different. Why is it that incarnation seems to be a universal possession of the religious heritage of mankind? Why is it a universal possession? Well, because the stories go back to the beginning of time. In that the prophecies were being made back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And people were waiting for and longing for one who could defeat man's greatest foe, and that being death. So what is it that makes Jesus different? Why is He different than Hercules? Why is He different than Dionysus? Why is He different than uh, Krishna and some of these other alleged Savior gods? Well, the first point has already been made for us in this seminar. And it is that Jesus was a, a real person. You see, Jesus was the unique Savior. His story is unique. His story is special. His story was recorded before He ever lived. There were stories that were circulated that sounded like that of Christ for reasons we've already mentioned. But you see, what makes Jesus very unique and very different is that Jesus was a real person. The story of Jesus does not occupy a place amidst the pages of Greek mythology or ancient religious legend. Humanity has always desired a real life Savior God, hero. But which of their stories have been documented and written down in a book like the Bible? The most historically, that is the New Testament, the most historically documented ancient book that we know of today, that there ever has been. And which of these alleged Savior gods has a genealogy like that of Christ? Which of these alleged Savior gods can you go to a book and find out who His father was and who His father was and who His father was? Can you turn to some book about Dionysus or Prometheus or Mithras and find out as you can turn to Luke chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 1 and read of their ancestors like you can of Jesus' ancestors Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or as Luke chapter 3 goes all the way back to Adam. Jesus was a real person. That makes Him different. What makes Jesus different? Well, here's another reason. The most historically documented ancient book in all the world testifies of His sinlessness. Testifies that He knew no sin. Testifies that He was a lamb without blemish and without spot and that He committed no sin nor was deceit found in His mouth. You see, Jesus was different than many of the stories of the alleged Savior gods. Many of their stories talk about some of their deeds and how they committed fornication or adultery or how they might lie when it was they thought necessary for them to lie. 
Well, the story of Christ is nothing like that. You do not read of Christ doing any, not one wicked thing. Christ is different because He was sinless. Christ is different because He was a real person. Christ is different because the New Testament, the most historically documented ancient book in all the world, testifies of the great deeds, the miracles that He worked, and that how these miracles testified to His deity and His Godhood. The Bible gives us prophecies about Christ. Where are the books? Where are the, the page after page after page of text that was written before these alleged Savior gods were supposedly born, if, they, if any of them ever did walk the earth, and some claim that there are some similarities between Jesus and men who really did walk the earth, be it Confucius or Plato or whoever. But where are the prophecies, where are their prophecies that they fulfilled? You see, they don't have that, but Jesus does. And He fulfilled all of them. And the prophecies of Christ, we have proof that they went back hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born of woman because we have the Hebrew Scriptures already translated into the Greek language 200 to 250 years or so before Jesus was born of a virgin. The prophecies were there. Jesus came and He fulfilled those prophecies. And we have solid proof that He rose from the dead, as we will see later in this seminar series. You see, Jesus is the unique Savior of the world. There are stories that sound like Christ that existed before the time of Christ, but it makes sense that there would have been because there were prophecies that were made about Christ, not just to and among the Israelites. Those prophecies were being given even before there ever was an Israelite nation. And the stories were told. And people were waiting for. Now, they didn't understand all of these things, and it's very obvious that they twisted many of these stories, and many of the alleged similarities are not similarities. They have been fabricated, but there still are some, and it should be expected. But just because there are these similarities, it should not concern us because it really is something that we could and should expect. Mankind has been waiting for, at least up until 2,000 years ago, a unique heaven-sent, virgin-born, miracle-working, sacrificial, resurrected-from-the-dead Savior God. And Jesus fulfilled those promises. He fulfilled those prophecies. He really did come in the flesh. He really did live a sinless life. He really did work the miracles, fulfilled the prophecies, and rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is the unique Savior of the world.